0: Dark Days of Dorothy Gale contains content not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. This episode includes brief discussions of sexual assault, suicide, and child abuse. If you or anyone you know are a victim of sexual assault and are in need of help, please contact Rain. That's R-A-I-N-N. The number is 800-656-HOPE. Or visit www.rainn.org. If you're struggling with thoughts of suicide or self-harm, you can contact the Suicide Prevention Lifeline by dialing 988 or visiting www.988lifeline.org. The National Child Abuse Hotline is 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's the number 4, followed by A-CHILD. You can also visit www.childhelp.org. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Not Home Yet The Big Recap of Darker Days of Dorothy Gale, Part 2 Woo! You made it! It's been a long road to this point, and it's going to be a long road to the next point. But here we are at the end of part two of Darker Days of Dorothy Gale. The inferno came and went, and we all survived. man. You know, getting into a new show or podcast is hard, isn't it? Especially one that's been going for years. One that has 113 serialized episodes. That's not counting all the Aftermath episodes and special ones either. Also not counting the 25 wonderful Wizard of Oz episodes. The point is, that's a lot. That's quite the achievement for me. Just gonna pat myself on the back here real quick, if I could just reach back. There we go. Yeah, that was a good pat. Anyways, if you're new to this and you don't want to go back and listen to 12 hours of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale and the previous 12 hours of Darker Days of Dorothy Gale, if all you want to do is start here, that's cool. I got you, bro. I do recommend, however, listening to the other recap episodes. I've placed them in the feed right before this one. But hey, you do you. In case you're wondering, though, up to this point, there is a grand total of like 233 episodes. Not entirely sure how much time that is. I'm not going to go and figure it out at this moment. Just kind of a self-congratulatory statistic. So... With all that out of the way, let's get on with this recap. Chapter 18 is Hope Abandoned. Dorothy, Mr. and the Woodman have all jumped into the abyss found in the gray tundra and have left the lion behind. Dorothy wakes up in her Kansas home, just as she remembers it. She's greeted by Vel, sister of Ozma. The two of them have a conversation about what it means to be free, and how reality is often misperceived. Vel tells Dorothy her sisters are all trying to figure out how to kill each other, and that when one of them dies, their power is distributed to the surviving sisters. So the last one standing will have unspeakable powers. She tells Dorothy that she's not interested in ruling anything, and that she is better suited than Ozma to help her return to Kansas. But the only way she can help Dorothy get back home is... That's right. If she kills Vel's sisters, Ozma, Efel, and Devorin. Gracious, not a witch, and nobody seems to know where she is anyway, so Whatever. Dorothy agrees. Her childhood home crumbles, and they find themselves at the gates to the other side. Vel opens them, and the chapter ends. This is in relation to Canto Three of Dante's Inferno, The Vestibule and The Uncommitted. Chapter 19 is The Hornet's Nest. Mr. and the Woodman wake up in the other side to find Dorothy missing. As they search the wasteland for her, they come to the realization that the ground is covered in carnivorous worms. The woodman's feet rust as he crushes their moist bodies beneath his feet. The worms eat away at mister. They come across what they think is a stump, but turns out to be a tall man curled up on the ground. They walk up to him, and hornets fly out of his mouth. Wah! You know, like... Hornets do, I guess. Anyways, they begin stinging him. The man that had the hornets in his mouth, they begin stinging him. The worms eagerly drink the blood spilled from his wounds. The hornets then turn their attention to Mr. and begin stinging him as well. Each sting pulls a thread from his body. He runs for his life, escaping the insects by jumping into a large river. He's carried away as the woodman casually continues on dry land, immune to the hornet's stingers. You know, because he's made of metal and all. This is also in relation to Canto Three of the Inferno. Again, vestibule and uncommitted. Chapter 20 is The Virtuous Child and the First Time. March 30, 2006. Dorothy sits alone under her favorite tree in the pasture of Aunt Em and Uncle Henry's farm. Her mother has died, and she is coming to terms with the fact that her permanent home is now with Em and Henry. Henry shows up, and they have a discussion about what comes next. Dorothy demonstrates her knowledge of religion, specifically the Catholic religion, when she points out that her mother was never baptized. Never being baptized means that, to Catholics anyway, she can never get to heaven. She might not be in hell, but she won't be in heaven. Dorothy tells Henry that she doesn't want to be baptized because she can't bear the thought of dying and ending up in a different place than her mother if that version of the afterlife is correct. As she goes through a period of mourning, M and Henry become worried about her. One day, Henry decides to have a talk with her. There's nothing described here, but the title of the chapter, The Virtuous Child and The First Time, indicates that something is about to happen to our young protagonist. This relates to Canto Four, the first circle of the Inferno. Virtuous pagans, unbaptized, and limbo. Chapter 21 is Charon. Back in the present, and in the other side, Dorothy and Vell meet King Minos. He's a giant figure with a serpentine tail, waist-deep in a pool of blood. He coils his tail around Dorothy seven times and warns her that if she continues to show fear in the other side, she will perish. He also tells Vel to take care of her and grants them entrance to Charon. Charon is a sprawling metropolis with a river of blood running through it. The streets are filled with violent acts of sexual debauchery. They seek shelter in a giant tower with an enormously fat man stuck in the middle and surrounded by malnourished young women. Cages hang from the vaulted ceiling, filled with men and women. Everyone is pleasuring themselves, except the man in the center of it all, who is so fat he cannot reach himself. Vel explains why these people are here and what their punishment means, These are the sexual deviants, the sexually violent, and those that sold themselves not because they had to, but because they could. These are the people who lived in a cesspool of lust. This relates to Canto 5, the second circle, lust. Chapter 22 is Nitfis. Tip and Jack find themselves in the seemingly vacant city of Nitfis. They seek refuge for the night in an empty house. This is the house that once belonged to Roman and Melinda. Tip has an otherworldly experience here. They come under attack by strange bug-like creatures. And after fighting them off, they are attacked by a Cerberus. They prevail and continue on their way to the west. This is Canto Six, The Third Circle. Gluttony. Chapter 23 is The Blind King. After escaping the hornets by jumping into the river, Mister is washed away. He meets up once more with the Tin Woodman. They are in a hot, smog-filled, industrial city. This is King Plutus's city, the city of hoarders and wasters. People throw gold from the windows as hands reach up through the spongy ground and collect it. The Woodman and Mister are approached by armed guards. They each see different figures in the guards, however. The Woodman sees man-wolves armed with large sickles, while Mister sees winged apes carrying large chains. They are escorted to the Tower of Plutus, where they meet the Blind King. He is a giant, and where his eyes should be are hollowed sockets. He asks why they have come to his city, and when they inform him they are looking to find and kill Vel, he tells them it will be no easy task. He has his people upgrade each of their bodies. The woodman is reforged and Mr. Recrafted. This is Canto Seven. The Fourth Circle, Hoarders and Wasters. This is also Circle Five, The Wrathful and the Sullen. Chapter 24 is Prelude to the Blind King. Here, we see how the king lost his eyes. Shortly after arriving in the other side, Plutus found Vel and held her captive. Demanding that she take her place beside him as his queen, he rapes her. She fights back by plunging her thumbs deep into his eyes. Her arms and hands become hot and molten as she burns his eyes out. This is still Canto Seven, the fourth circle, the hoarders and wasters, the wrathful and the sullen. Chapter 25 is The City of Dis, Vel and Dorothy pass through the city of Plutus with no issues. They find themselves at the edge of a large river, or lake, or ocean. It's really just a large body of water. Anyways, they're approached by a large stone king. This is the same king Dorothy saw in the arid plains in dark days of Dorothy Gale on her way to see Glinda. The stone king does not want to help but Vel convinces him otherwise. Once on the other side of the river, or whatever you want to call it, the large body of water, Dorothy is approached by a strange figure. It is that of an oddly shaped man. He looks familiar, but she doesn't know why. As he gets closer, he becomes less defined. By the time he gets to her, he is nothing more than a fleshy, doughy mannequin. She boils over with rage, sadness, and anxiety. She becomes weak and powerless. Vel takes Dorothy's knife and kills him. As they continue to travel further into the other side, they come to the gates of a large city where they are greeted by three gargoyles. They tell Vel that she can go if she promises never to return. But Dorothy, on the other hand, must stay behind. The gargoyles devour each other and grow into a behemoth. Vel drops to her hands and knees, and a massive crow, followed by a giant murder of crows, bursts from her back. The birds kill the behemoth, before taking their place back inside of their host. With the gatekeeper no longer a problem, they are free to proceed. This is Canto's 8 and 9, Leaving the Fifth Circle. Chapter 26 is The Heretic. We find out that the lion has been sitting at the precipice for two years, waiting for Dorothy to return. He is approached by the stranger. The stranger offers the lion a new home with his community of followers. The great beast is taken to the stranger's encampment in the middle of a cemetery. A large bonfire burns in the center. The stranger gives the lion a dead collida to eat, before giving him a tour of the camp. We see his followers digging up a grave and pulling the decayed and mummified remains of Epicurus from it. They place the body into a large guillotine and chop his head clean off. The stranger explains that Epicurus believed there was no life after death. He believed that there was no soul to speak of, believed that one should do their best to make this world their own paradise, because there was nothing after it. One death was not enough for this kind of heresy. This is Canto 10, Circle 6, The Heretics. Chapter 27 is Anastasius. Tip and Pumpkin Jack find themselves in a village overrun by bandits. They fight their way through and free the remaining citizens, a group of small children that would otherwise have been eaten. This one is dedicated to Cantos 11 and 12. An Explanation of Hell, and the Seventh Circle, Violence. Also worth noting, violence is split into three rings, the first ring being violence against neighbors. Chapter 28 is The Dark Wood. Dorothy and Vel travel through the Dark Wood. This is the Dark Wood of Suicide from Dante's Inferno. Each tree houses a soul violently taken through self-harm. Dorothy has another encounter here, this time with a young girl. Like the man at the water's edge before, she feels some sort of connection to her. She feels like she knows this child, but can't figure out how. She has an emotional breakdown and apologizes to the child, but she doesn't understand why or what she's apologizing for. The girl accepts before being pulled back into the tree. After this experience, Dorothy and Vel continue on their way. This is Canto 13, Ring 2 of the Seventh Circle. Violence Against Self Chapter 29 is The Golden City of Usera. Mr. and the Woodman are traveling in the wake of destruction left by Vel. They enter the golden city of Usera, where they meet the Queen. She lives in a tower surrounded by treasures, weighted down by a gown of gold and trinkets. She stands immobile in a room surrounded by gramophones and telescopes. She has no interest in letting the Woodman and Mr. go until she finds out they are looking for Vel. She gives them a necklace to deliver to Ozma. They take it and continue on their way. This is Canto 14 and 15 of the Inferno, the Usurers and the Sodomites. This is the third ring of the seventh circle, Violent Against God. Chapter 30 is the reunion special. Mr. and the Woodman are reunited with Dorothy, who is standing at the edge of a cliff with Vel. Vel tricks Mr. into giving her the necklace given to him by the Queen of Usera. Much to everyone's dismay, she throws the necklace, meant for Ozma over the cliff. A monstrous beast appears from the depths below. This is Jerrion, and it will be taking them down. This is Cantos 16 and 17, The Usurers and Jerrion. Chapter 31 is The Sad Story of Amelia Driscoll. This chapter should actually be titled The Tragic Story of Amelia Driscoll. As the seventh anniversary of her mother's death approaches, Dorothy is struggling in school. One of the teachers, Mr. Timothy Rendfield, offers her a way to make the grade. His suggestion is a vile trade of sex for a passing grade. Dorothy refuses, and he suggests another way, getting her friend Amelia to take her place. Dorothy gets Amelia to do it, And two weeks later, Amelia commits suicide. Tim Renfield is clearly the man at the water's edge. Amelia is clearly the girl she meets in the dark wood. This is Canto 18, the Eighth Circle. The Eighth Circle is fraud, and it's split into ten more rings. This is the first ring, the Panderers and seducers chapter 32 is the false flattery of tipitarius before he was free to roam the land before pumpkin jack or the tree horse were created tip was kept by mombi she often left him alone and often came back to find him doing something terrible one day she returns home to find tip painting a portrait of her on the wall with mud Even though this is one of the most harmless things he could possibly do, Mombi is enraged. Tip tries to flatter his way out of trouble by telling her he just wanted to paint a beautiful portrait of his beautiful caregiver. Mombi sees right through his lies and punishes him by throwing him outside into a puddle and holding his face down in it while expressing regrets for ever taking him in. This is still Canto 18, though this ring is the second in fraud. This is The Flatterers. Chapter 33 is Simon Magus. Simon Magus is a man of faith that follows the stranger from place to place. He grows to resent the stranger's church, however, when he is unable to rise through the ranks. He steals an artifact from the stranger and tries to pawn it off to other higher members, essentially trying to buy his way into priesthood. The stranger finds out and kills Simon by throwing him down a well and torching it. This is Canto 19, obviously still the Eighth Circle, which would be fraud. This is Malibulge, Ring 3 the Simonists, or Simonists, however however it's pronounced, you you get the idea. Anyways, chapter 34 is The Lair of the Diviners. Jerrian delivers Dorothy and company to the Lair of the Diviners. These are fortune tellers and mystics that dwell in the darkness of the other side. Their heads are on completely backward, and they are forever weeping. The Diviners insist... Dorothy is some kind of prophecy. This is Canto Twenty, of course, still the Eighth Circle. The diviners are found in the fourth ring of fraud, the fortune tellers. Chapter 35 is the banker William Johnson. This fat, greedy slob of a man travels with the stranger. He is a treasurer, a collector, a banker and he manages the finances of the stranger's following. He takes up embezzlement and plots to leave the stranger behind so he can claim the city of Emerald for his own, along with a handful of defectors. The stranger finds this out and has him executed. This is Canto 21, 22, and 23. This is Ring 5 of Malibulge, the Grafters and Ring 6, The Hypocrites. Chapter 36 is Sionpha. Dorothy and her companions are in a vast desert where they meet a centaur named Cacus. He is being tormented by some unseen force and kills himself. Turns out the unseen force is Sionpha, queen of this arid landscape. Caucus comes back to life, and it's revealed that Sianfa has the ability to possess anyone she touches. Well, maybe not necessarily possess. I mean, she can possess them, but she can also take their form, so she's also kind of a shapeshifter thing. It's, you know, whatever. Anyways, back to the recap here. So, Caucus, he kills himself... Turns out the Unseen Force is Sianfa. She's the queen, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Caucus comes back to life and is revealed that Sianfa has the ability to repossess and all that fun stuff. Like like I said, I'm kind of backtracking here. Anyways, she uses the centaur's body to attack Dorothy. The woodman then saves Dorothy by axing the horseman in the stomach. And they think that they are done with this guy and this being. But, Caucus comes back to life, yet again. Sionpha then takes the form of Dorothy, and attacks and kills Vel. Dorothy kills Sionpha, who still looks like Dorothy. Vel is resurrected, and once again... Traveling party is complete and ready to move on. It's really confusing. It's not that confusing. I feel like I explain it better in the actual chapter. If you if you want to go back and and just listen to chapter thirty six, that's cool. That's cool. You know, it's all good. Do what do what you want to do. Anyways, moving on. Everyone's back together. They're going on. They're moving forward. And, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much this. This is Cantos 24 and 25, still going through the fraudulent Eighth Circle. This is Ring 7, Thievery. Chapter 37 is The Maddening of King Lorenz and the Murder of Lady Quinneth. This is the story of how things ended for the king and queen of Antonora. And, uh, uh, as a reminder, Antenora is actually the city of Emerald, just before it was drainwashed. The slobbish King Lorentz and the cold, stoic Lady Quinneth are in their chamber. The king is disgustingly gorging himself on mass quantities of food as his wife stares out the window on the other side of the room. Lothor and the children show up, that's Ozma Dvorin, Felvel and Gracia, And they are bearing a gift. Wine from some far-off land. King Lorenz takes it, the kids leave, he drinks it, and he is then visited by a fire demon that tells him how much his wife hates him. He's granted brief mobility, picks up a steak knife, creeps up behind his wife, and kills her before dying himself. This is Cantos 26 and 27, still making our way through the epic 8th circle, that of fraud. We find ourselves in the 8th Bolgia of Malibulge. This is Evil Counselors and the Counselors of Fraud. Chapter 38 is Vernon Howell. Like Bill Johnson before, Vernon Howell is looking to strike out on his own with a handful of defectors. Unlike Bill Johnson, Vernon Howell is not doing it out of greed or hunger for power. Well, maybe a little out of hunger for power. I mean, aren't all cult leaders power-hungry to some extent? Anyways, Vernon Howell is actually David Koresh. That was David Koresh's... Real name. It was Vernon Howell. A fun little piece of trivia there for you. And if you don't know who David Koresh is, he was the leader of the Branch Davidians. If you're following along with Dante's Inferno, this is Sowers of Discord, Canto Twenty-Eight, I think. If 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 I've been following along correctly, it 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 should be can it should be twenty-eight. Anyways, he and his followers are punished. For their treacherous ways, and it's very unpleasant. This would be the ninth ring of the eighth circle. This is the sowers of discord. Chapter thirty-nine is the falsifier, the queen, and the giants. Well, turns out that what we thought was Vel was actually Sianfa the entire time. Oh my gosh! Who would have imagined? I feel like that's. Not as original as I originally thought, but you know, I I wrote it, so I I and I think it was still good. I'm I'm still really proud of that moment. I just think I, it, anyways, anyways. There's this really gross Scooby Doo moment here where she reveals her true identity. Everyone is now standing by the giant's well where they meet giants. You know, what else would you meet at the giant's well? Anyways, they meet three of them. Three giants, that is. The giants then kill Sionfa and take our fellow travelers deeper into the other side. This is Cantos 29, 30, and 31, which brings us to the final ring of fraud. Ring 10 of the Eighth Circle. This is... The Falsifiers Chapter 40 is Cana Yet more trouble in paradise for the stranger. A fight breaks out between two brothers in the camp, and everyone seems to be enjoying the spectacle. The stranger has a difficult time breaking up the fight and keeping it broken up. Ultimately, he has the two brothers tied together and placed in a hole where they both freeze. This is Canto 32, the beginning of the end of the Inferno. This is Circle 9, Treachery. Also worth noting that Circle 9 is split into four more rings. This is Round 1 and 2, Cana, Treachery Against Kin. Chapters 41 and 42 are Antonora Part 1 and Antonora Part 2. This is the story of Ugolio and how he was banished from the kingdom once Ozma and her sisters and Lothor took control. They disbanded the military so they had no use for General Ugolio. He was upset, they were upset, some things were said, he was kicked out, then he lived in a canyon outside of Antonora, then he met Joseph Smith, and then they got together and devised a plan that would lead Joseph to meet Gracia, which would eventually lead to his reign over Oz and become known as the Great Wizard. All of this is still in reference to Canto 32. This is ring two of the Ninth Circle, treachery against Country. Chapter 43 is Tolmea, Part 1, and chapter 44 is Tolmea, Part 2. Tip and Jack have a run-in with Reginald in Ildayed. Reginald explains how he survived his meeting with the legendary Dorothy Gale with the help of a quadling mystic. He confesses to a lifetime of crimes and expresses great remorse and regret. It's further cemented that, yes, he is Jack the Ripper, and it's also very heavily hinted at that he is Tip's father, though neither one of them realizes that they're related. He tells Tip he is holding Ugolio captive in his basement, along with his children. Tip saves Ugolio, who then kills Reginald. Right before running out the front door and into a violent storm, that freezes him in the streets. This is all in reference to Canto 33. This is, of course, Ring 3 of the Ninth Circle, Treachery to Guests. Chapter 45 and 46 is Judecca and Cositus. Dorothy and her traveling party awaken to find themselves in a frozen wasteland. On the horizon is a large black structure. They make their way there, gain entry, and are greeted by Judah. This man explains that they are now in Judecca, a labyrinth designed to keep people away from the mountain that serves as a prison to a great beast. He explains that the witchy sisters thought they could strike a deal with the beast and escape the other side. He also explains that he is supposed to guard the labyrinth and kill Dorothy. But he's really not much for killing, and he is not really a big fan of the sisters. He leads the travelers through Judecca to a large, bottomless pool, filled by a river that runs from the Great Mountain. And that's when another sister of Ozma shows up. This is D'Voran. She kills Judah for his betrayal, tells Dorothy she knows all about her. She knows all about her mother, her father, Aunt Em, and Uncle Henry. She also makes implications regarding Henry and his... actions. She knows that Mombi was an accident, the lion killed Krista, Glinda was killed by the lost children held captive by Lothor, and knows that Sionfa killed Vel and the giants, in turn, killed Sionpha. The woodman attacks Devorin, Dorothy finishes the job, and they all move on into the chamber of Cosidas. Cosidas is a giant, three-headed beast. One head is a leopard, one is a lion, and the center is a wolf. He is trapped here, held in place by one foot, frozen in the ground. And above him is a bridge with a brilliant white light shining down on it. The travelers follow a staircase along the chamber walls until they reach the bridge. Mister almost doesn't make it, but Dorothy saves him. And then Dorothy almost doesn't make it, but the woodman saves her. They reach the light as the beast continues to rage below them. This is the conclusion of the Inferno. Centering on Canto 34, the fourth ring of treachery. Treachery against Benefactor. Chapter 47 is Interlude, Part 1. After escaping the other side, Dorothy, Mister, and the Woodman are granted visions of themselves. Interlude, Part 1, centers around the Woodman and is really more of a premonition than anything. The woodman is given his earthly body back, and is reunited once again with his wife, Beatrice. Beatrice turns him back into metal and sends him on his way. When he asks why all this is happening, Beatrice tells him it's because Ozma is still alive, indicating that he has a higher purpose in life. Maybe he didn't have a higher purpose before, but he certainly does now. Chapter 48 is Interlude, Part 2. Here we find Mr. reunited with the seamstress. She sends him out to get an apple. And so he does, but a little hesitantly. As he wanders through the forest in search of the apple, he begins to lose his memory and forgets what he's doing altogether essentially becoming brainless. As he's wandering through the woods, he comes across Dorothy, trying to get an apple from a tree that's toying with her. He slowly begins to remember what he's doing out here, remembers that he was looking for an apple, but he can't remember why he's looking for an apple, or who he's supposed to retrieve one for. Shortly after he manages to get an apple for Dorothy... The tree kills her before turning to him. This is all about his fear of being more of a burden than help to those he loves. Chapter 49 is Interlude Part 3. We see Dorothy working in a factory, reliving one of the worst moments in her life. She's offered a promotion and a raise by her supervisor, Tim Renfield. But only if she grants him some sexual favors in return. She quits her job right then and there, but leaves feeling helpless, humiliated, and powerless. Okay, okay, some heavy stuff there. That's, uh, but that's everything that happened in part two of Darker Days. I don't really know what else to say. Part three is coming soon, and it's gonna get worse, but I promise, even though there's 30 more chapters left, we are in sight of the light at the end of the tunnel. There is no Darkest Days of Dorothy Gale written, and even though I have a basic outline of where I would want to go with it, I'm not entirely sure if I will ever do another one of these. That said, if you're worried that all of this is heading toward an unfinished story, that you've been investing all this time into something that will be left undone with words unwritten, well, uh, you're right. 32 chapters from now, you're going to get a giant cliffhanger with a lot of unresolved plot points. Nah, just kidding. I promise I'm going to wrap this up with a nice little bow. Everything is going to be explained. 99% of the loose ends going to be tied up. And it's all going to be good. I'm really proud of how this is going to end. So stick around for the next 32 chapters. It's going to be worth it. I promise. Also, if you liked all that Dante's Inferno stuff, and you're sad that it's over, well, fear not, because there is a lot more Dantean influence ahead of us. But yeah, I'm I'm done with the deep Dante dive episodes. But without all that extra research, I can hopefully get this show released on an even more regular basis. So, yeah, I guess I'm done here for the moment. But don't worry, I'm going to be back with more Darker Days soon enough.